Hello and welcome to episode number 63 of The Draft Analyst, presented by the Believe Sports Podcast Network. Do you believe? This is Chris Tripodi of DraftAnalyst.com, and I'm joined by Tony Pauline as we get set to wrap up our AFC North draft reviews with the Cleveland Browns and Pittsburgh Steelers tonight, two teams that many expect to pace this division in 2019. Yeah, two teams that a lot of people think are heading in different directions. I mean, you look at the Steelers, trade away Antonio Brown, basically give away Le'Veon Bell, and you wonder what direction they're heading in. Then you look at the Cleveland Browns and how aggressive they were. I mean, basically their season turned around on a dime when Hugh Jackson was fired and Greg Williams took over. Now they've got a new coach. They've got a new star receiver or temperamental receiver, I should say. The arrow is definitely pointing north for the Cleveland Browns. It's just a matter of, is the former interim offensive coordinator going to be able to prove himself as a head coach? Yeah, Cleveland's first-round pick belonged to the Giants because of that Odell Beckham Jr. trade, as you mentioned there, new star receiver. But the Browns still actually added a first-round prospect in LSU cornerback Greedy Williams at number 46 overall in round two. They drafted BYU linebacker Sione Takitaki in the third round and followed that up with Miami defensive back Sheldrick Redwine in round four. Now, many were concerned about Greedy Williams' tackling ability, and that's a reason why a lot of people are giving as to why he fell to the middle of the second round. Personally, I don't really have many concerns there. Sure, he's thin, but he plays a physical game almost too much so as he does get a bit grabby on the outside against receivers, but his ball skills are legitimate. He's got good length, and those are shutdown corner characteristics, ones that you don't necessarily see at that point in the second round. Taki Taki was a surprise pick to many, but we profiled him as a potential top 75 pick the week before the draft, and he ended up going 80th. He's fast and explosive, and while he struggles at times to get off blocks, that shouldn't be an issue if Cleveland uses him on the weak side where he fits best. He does need to clean up his tackling efficiency just a little bit, but he does have the athleticism to cover as well and play all three downs. Redwine went slightly earlier than where he was rated on our board, but he's another good athlete who's lean and kind of struggles against the run. He has the ball skills to play as a zone corner or as a deep safety. Tony, what are your thoughts on what the Browns did in the first several rounds? If Greedy Williams is healthy and he plays up to his uh, level of ability, where the Browns got him in the middle of round two, this could be the steal of the draft. I mean, there was one point in time where I had Greedy Williams graded as a top 12 pick. You know, they say, well, he fell because of his tackling, you know, when you got a cornerback that's six foot two, 185 pounds, uh, runs in the four threes, was a terrific cover corner in the toughest conference in the nation, and consistently played up against the toughest receivers in the nation, it's more than just bad tackling that had him drop almost a full round. There were rumors about an injury that was trying to be concealed, which is why there were no pre-draft visits. You know, who knows? We'll find out. But the fact is this. If they get him to play up to his ability, and he's healthy, and I would expect both, the Browns hit a grand slam with Greedy Williams in round two, as far as I'm concerned. Sione Takitaki, I had back in March that the Cleveland Browns were interested in him. They love his game. They feel he's a guy that they can move all around the field. They can play him on the weak side. They can stick him in on the middle. They think he's a three-down defender that you can use when you go to nickel packages and you only have one or two linebackers on the field. He's a great story. Showed himself to be a real good linebacker last season. I think he tested reasonably well. I think it's a good fit for uh, that system. Sheldrick Redwine, as you said, we had him graded a little bit lower. The only reason I had him graded a little bit lower in the fourth round was I just didn't see a lot of consistency in his game. He's got excellent size. He's got excellent speed. He flashes ability. I like his upside. I just want to see him be more consistent. And with the well-known needs 
that the Cleveland Browns had at safety and the thought process that they were going to take a safety with that first pick that they had in the draft in the second round. I think red wine is a good contingency plan, assuming that he plays to his level of ability on every down. Now, the Browns had a pair of fifth-round picks, taking Alabama linebacker Mac Wilson and Oklahoma kicker Austin Seibert. Southeast Missouri guard Drew Forbes was the pick in round six, and Tulane cornerback Donnie Lewis the choice in the seventh round. Wilson is another athletic potential three-down linebacker, only started one year at Alabama, but was rated as a second-rounder on our board. So this really is great value, and he'll have the opportunity to physically develop and kind of grow into his frame a bit as a backup in Cleveland. Forbes and Lewis were both rated as free agents on our board. Forbes is a college tackle who struggles a bit getting to the edge, likely ends up at guard at the next level and probably destined for the practice squad. Lewis is a corner who's best in man coverage. He's a bit slight at six foot and a half and under 190 pounds and probably is going to have to make his mark on special teams to make the roster as a depth player. Yeah, I like Mac Wilson's game. He's got some personality traits that turn some people off. I don't want to say turn people off. That's not the right way to say. Just had some personality traits that pushed him into the last day of the draft. But at the top of his game, I think he's a guy that will vie for playing time at the next level, a guy that could develop into a starter, somebody that you know could see action on the field in certain situations. Austin Siebert was the number one kicker in the draft. I think they bring him in just for some competition purposes. Drew Forbes, as you said, college tackle who projects to guard. We have a scouting report on him at draftanalyst.com. A big stout guy, blocks with solid fundamentals. I love the way he blocks with his legs. He stays square, gets it in his head, smart and tough. So he's someone, when the pre-draft process started in January, I knew that the uh, Browns were going to look at some point in the draft to improve and strengthen the interior offensive line. That's what they did with Drew Fobbs. I like Donnie Lewis. I've always been a big fan of Donnie Lewis. I had him graded as a seventh-round pick almost up until the very end, and then I came off of him and I uh, listed him as a, a free agent. I think he's a guy that has enough skill to make a roster as a dimeback if he plays well on special teams. At the very least, as you said, I think he's a uh, practice squad type of prospect. Now, John Dorsey and company signed 15 undrafted free agents after the draft. None really caught my eye, though. Boston College's Wyatt Ray is a situational pass rusher. bit small to play the end in Cleveland's 4-3, but he does have speed and explosiveness off the edge as a potential sub-package rusher. Pitt running back Darren Hall runs well for his size at 233 pounds, shows good patience on the inside, and is a downhill type of runner with limited receiving ability. David Blau, the quarterback out of Purdue, lacks an NFL arm, but he's a heavy quarterback who could end up lasting in the league as a clipboard holder. Anybody intrigue you here, Tony? Not really. I mean, most of these guys are roster fodder. I think most of these guys were brought in to be camp bodies to fill out positions. Dorian Baker is someone I liked early on, but he struggled with injuries. I kind of fell off of him. As you said, Darren Hall, primarily a between-the-tackles downhill ball carrier, so if he plays well on special teams, he'll have an opportunity. Wyatt Ray had a terrific pro day workout. He's, a, he's an undersized pass rusher, so he could be used as a situational pass rusher. But again, someone who has to play well on special teams. Trayvon Tate is an interesting guy, can play center, can play guard. And again, someone who, since the Cleveland Browns wanted to strengthen the interior of their offensive line, if he plays well in camp, I could see them keeping him on the active roster as an inexpensive backup. Now, limited picks for Cleveland in this draft, obviously as a result of the Odell Beckham trade and their other trade with the Giants for Olivier Vernon, kind of a mixed bag in terms of value with the picks that they did have. How would you grade the Browns here? Well, you got to add Odell Beckham into this draft. You have to consider him as part of this draft since they traded away so many picks in this draft to get him. 
I think this is a draft that has tremendous upside. I already made my statement about Greedy Williams. I thought it was a great pick. I think that a year or two down the road, people in Cleveland are going to be smiling over this pick. Sioni Takitaki, a lot of people thought that he was selected too early. But as you said, I mean, we right before the draft, I said there was talk about him being a top 75 selection. I expect him to produce as a rookie. Sheldrick Redwine, I think he's going to see action as a rookie, and he's got a high upside. And then there's Odell Beckham. I, I mean, if Odell Beckham is able to keep his focus on the field, shut up off the field, and mature as a person off the field, and really become a team guy, I mean, you look at this entire selection, including Odell Beckham, and this is a real good selection of, of players and trades, and potentially the one that throws the Cleveland Browns over the top. Yeah, I mean, if you're going to add, you know, arguably the best wide receiver in the game of football and all you're going to give up is a mid-first-round pick that turned into Dexter Lawrence, who, you know, we like him, but there's debate on to whether he's even a three-down player. They also lost Jabril Peppers in that trade. But considering what they gave up to get Beckham, if you pair him with Greedy Williams, even if every other pick in this draft busts, if Greedy hits his upside and Beckham, as you said, takes that truly next step from being a really, really, really good receiver to the absolute elite, and obviously having a quarterback like Baker Mayfield instead of Eli Manning could significantly help there. But if those two hit their ceilings, no one's going to care what the Browns did after the second round. Yeah, and you know, with Odell Beckham, we all know what he can do on the field. It's just what he does on the sidelines and off the field, which leads to a lot of people, unfortunately, mocking him, and I think takes away from his uh, play on the field. So if Odell Beckham really becomes a team player and really matures as a person, it's not only going to help him, it's going to help the Cleveland Browns, and I think it'll help push that franchise over the top. The Steel City will be our next stop in just a moment, but before we go, please support the Draft Analyst by subscribing on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, or any of the big podcast platforms. You can also find us at Believe.com. Leave us a rating and a review. If you have any questions you want answered on the show, tweet us at Chris Tripodi, at Tony Pauline at Draft Analyst 1, and at Believe Podcast to get in touch with the show. Now, the Steelers have needed speed on their defense ever since they lost Ryan Shazier. The run D has really fallen off since that time, and they sought to remedy that this year by trading up from number 20 to number 10 and giving Denver pick 52 and a 2020 third-round pick to get Michigan linebacker Devin Bush. Now, Bush blazed a scorching 4-4-3-40 in Indy, placed to that speed on the field as well. He's a bit short at just 5'11", which could hurt him at times in coverage, but he fits extremely well in Pittsburgh's 3-4 defense where he can be covered up by another inside backer. Him and Devin White were really the only linebackers in this class given first-round consideration. An aggressive move here for sure. Was it a good one to you, Tony? Well, in the sense that they got the player that they wanted, yes, it was a good pick. But from where Devin Bush stands on our board, no, because we had him graded as a bottom half of round one type of guy. If you listen to this podcast on a consistent basis, we said right after the Michigan Pro Day that someone who was in attendance at the workout told me that it looked like the Pittsburgh Steelers had their entire coaching staff and most of their front office on hand specifically for Devin Bush. So it shouldn't come as a surprise. As you said, you know, this is someone they hope will replace uh, what they lost with Ryan Shazier. I like Devin Bush playing upfield, playing downhill and playing in the box. I just think that he is a liability in coverage. He's solid in pursuit. He's not great in pursuit, but he brings a lot as far as intensity, you know, bone-jarring hits, which will create fumbles. Uh, So in that sense, I I think it was a good selection. And again, they got the guy they wanted, and he fills an immediate need.
Without a second round pick here, the Steelers did have two third rounders, and they used one that they got from Oakland in that Antonio Brown trade we mentioned earlier on Toledo wide receiver Deontay Johnson. They also grabbed cornerback Justin Lane out of Michigan State at number 83, and Kentucky running back Benny Snell in round four. Now, I wasn't the biggest fan of Johnson heading into the draft. Tony had him on the edge of the fourth and fifth rounds on our board, but we had also reported here that several teams had day two interest in Deontay Johnson, so this pick wasn't a total surprise. He is a solid slot receiver with good quickness and separation ability, can also return kicks as well. Justin Lane was probably my favorite of the Steelers' picks, a former wide receiver who's still a bit raw at corner, but his upside is up there with any corner in this class. He's got length, he's got ball skills, and once he gains a bit more experience, he could be a legitimate asset in that Steelers' secondary. Now, Benny Snell is a player that, Tony, I know you like him. He's a big back, doesn't really have much speed, not really explosive, but he's got good feet, decent burst, and some quickness. What do you think of Pittsburgh's picks in rounds three and four? Start well with Deontay Johnson. You're right. I grade him as a fourth, fifth rounder, but literally the weeks leading up to the draft, I kept hearing third round on Deontay Johnson. And as we reported the morning of the first day of the draft, I was told that the New England Patriots were seriously considering him in round three. Obviously, the Steelers got him much earlier in that frame. Listen, you're looking at a slot receiver return specialist. That's what Deontay Johnson's uh, value is. And as somebody told me, there's more and more value placed on slot receivers in the league. That's why Deontay Johnson took a major leap up draft boards. I absolutely love the selection of Justin Lane late in the third round. He's a guy who I think has got starting ability. He's a guy who I think was overlooked by scouts. Doesn't have a big body of work at the cornerback position for Michigan State. But as I've told everybody, Go back and watch the Ohio State film and their talented receivers and how Justin Lane shut them down. Go back and watch the Purdue film and the speedy receivers that Purdue was able to put on the field and how Justin Lane shut them down. He's got size. He's physical. Doesn't have great speed. Ran 4-5-0 at the combine. He's got developing ball skills and a guy that I think will eventually be a starter. I think he's going to be a very good nickelback as a rookie and then take it from there. Benny Snell. I've gushed over Benny Snell for two years now. I think this was the perfect fit for Benny Snell. He's a tremendous downhill between the tackles ball carrier. He's a guy who can run over people or run around them. He's got exceptional short area quickness. He's a decent pass catcher out of the backfield. He's also a good blocker. In one of my early mock drafts, I had him going to Pittsburgh in like the second round. I had the right team, but I was two rounds too early. I think this is just a phenomenal pick for Pittsburgh. Now, the Steelers picked third in round five and drafted Michigan tight end Zach Gentry there. They had three sixth-round picks taking Northern Illinois edge rusher Sutton Smith, Alabama defensive tackle Isaiah Bugs, and Akron linebacker Ulysses Gilbert before finishing up their draft with Maryland tackle Derwin Gray in the seventh. Gentry's over 6'8", but he's slow, ran a 4.91 at the combine, won't stretch the seam, but he's a good blocker and a reliable pass catcher in the short field. Smith is small at 233 pounds, is only going to be able to play on passing downs, but his 6.75 second three cone in Indy was in the 99th percentile among edge rushers. So there's definite potential if he can overcome his size and short arms to be a really solid situational pass rusher. Now, Isaiah Bugs tested more like a nose tackle, but barely cracks 300 pounds on the scale. He was productive at Alabama, however, and any player who can produce at the level he did in the SEC, nine and a half sacks last season, is well worth the third day look even if they are essentially a zero as an athlete, at least on paper. And we actually had him as a second rounder on our board, which again presents good value here. Gilbert brings even more speed to the linebacking core here, obviously a focus for Pittsburgh in this year's draft. He's excellent in pursuit, struggles a bit to get off blocks, 
But again, a speedy guy to add to that linebacker core. While Derwin Gray, he's a pretty good athlete for 6'4 320 pounds. Strong blocker who was good at left tackle with the Terps. Might need to shift to the right side in the NFL. Your thoughts on these final five picks for Pittsburgh, Tony? Well, start with Gentry. I mean, Gentry is just a replacement for Jesse James. Same type of player. Tall, big, a guy who's not the fastest guy in the world, but he's got reliable hands. A guy who can also block. The only reason that Gentry went in the last day of the draft was, as you said, that poor 40 time. But he is a very good player. He's just not a great athlete. Sutton Smith is like Benny Snell. I mean, he is the perfect fit for the uh, Pittsburgh Steelers. He's a guy that's going to be a situational pass rusher. They'll use him, obviously, standing over tackle, where primarily he came out of a three-point stance of Northern Illinois. I expect him to be an outstanding special teams player. There are so many reasons why I like this pick. And I said, you know, lead up to the draft, when it came to Sutton Smith, he's got to be in the right situation, and he's got to be coached correctly. I think the Pittsburgh Steelers fit both of those uh, formulas for Sutton Smith to be successful at the next level. Isaiah Bugs. Isaiah Bugs came into the season graded as a first-round pick by scouts. Didn't have the greatest year in the world, but he was much greater value than a, uh, a six-round pick. Again, you know, like Sutton Smith, like Benny Snell, he's a great fit for the Steelers' system. If you remember last year, it was Deshaun Hand who was thought to be a, uh, a second-day selection by a number of teams who fell into the third day, was scooped up by the Detroit Lions, went on to have a terrific rookie season. And I really think that Isaiah Bugs falls in that same sort of category. Ulysses Gilbert, we've talked about him a lot on this podcast. I had him highly graded coming into the season. He's a fast pursuit linebacker. You know, if you think that Devin Bush brings speed to the linebacker spot, watch Ulysses Gilbert. He's fast up the field. He's fast laterally. He's smart. He's better in coverage than Devin Bush. Similar in the fact that he's a little bit short like Devin Bush, although he's over six foot tall. I think Ulysses Gilbert will absolutely compete to make an active roster. If he's not, I think he'll at worst be on the practice squad. Jerome Gray's another guy. I mean, he's a guy who I thought was a middle-round consideration, received third-round grades coming into the year by scouts, had some injury issues, but he's big, he's tough, he's more of a right-tackle prospect. And with that being said, I absolutely think that he'll have an opportunity to make the active roster as a backup. Now, the Steelers signed 10 free agents after the draft. Again, kind of a theme of these shows lately. Nobody really stands out as awesome value to me, at least. But Fred Johnson out of Florida is a big blocker at 6'7", 326. He's not an agile mover and is strictly a size prospect, though. LSU's Garrett Brumfield is a phone booth blocker who has some backup potential, but he's a limited athlete who can't pull or get to the second level. You're going to have to keep him in a small area. Texas defensive tackle Chris Nelson was a nose tackle for the Horns, but it's just 303 pounds. He'll have to two-gap at end in the Steelers scheme. Just an odd fit for their defense. Really doesn't bring much as a pass rusher, so I struggle to see Pittsburgh getting much out of their free agent class. What about you, Tony? Yeah, I agree. Looks like roster fill. Looks like guys who you know just are going to fill numbers at certain positions for camp. One guy, Garrett Brumfeld of LSU, was highly thought of coming into the season. Really had a terrible year. Was not at the combine. Kind of, you know, just fell off the face of the earth. But if you get him back to where he was in 2017, you may have somebody who could back up on the interior offensive line. Now, you can debate the value on many of Pittsburgh's picks, especially compared to where the prospects landed on our board. But they filled need. They drafted, in general, stylistic fits who filled holes on their roster. And there is something to be said for that. Right, Tony? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I love the Steelers draft. I absolutely love it. Here's why. I look at all these selections, and I think all these guys are going to be playing NFL football this fall. They may not make the Steelers 
active roster. They may make the active roster of another team. And if they don't make the active roster of another team, they're going to be in a practice squad. So I look at all these guys. I don't see any throwaway picks. I see guys that can help the Steelers. And if there's no room for them on the Steelers depth chart, I think another team's going to swipe them up. So I think it was a tremendous job by the Pittsburgh Steelers. And that's all for the 63rd episode of the Draft Analyst presented by the Believe Sports Podcast Network. Do you believe? If you're enjoying the show, please subscribe on any of the major podcast platforms and leave us a rating and a review. And feel free to ask us questions on Twitter that we'd be happy to answer on the show. We'll be back later this week to break down the NFC North. But until then, visit us at draftanalyst.com for all the latest info on the players your favorite team drafted and take a look ahead to next season with our 2020 mock draft. For Tony Pauline, this is Chris Tripodi. Until next time. <laughs>